This morning I want to look at the heroes of faith and particularly work our way through Hebrews um, chapter 11 and consider some of the examples that are put forward um, in Hebrews, particularly looking at the idea of faith and how they responded to their faith. Start off though, let's just, um, and we're going to be working through the whole chapter. Start off with verses 1 to 3. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds, the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And you think about that verse. There's a view in the world where if you can't offer any evidence for something, you can't offer any proof, well, it's called faith. And it's this idea of just blindly believing something um, no real evidence for it. You just kind of, yeah, I just think it is. But when you think about it, what does it say in this passage? Because in verse um, 16 and 17 of Romans 10, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you think about it, this idea of this worldview, faith is not this sort of random, you know, belief, well, no other proof, can't know what it is, we just call it faith. No, faith is based on something. Faith is based on the evidence that the word of God presents. But then look at what he described faith faith becomes. And I've given you the the idea of the Greek word so that you can get an idea of what it means. That idea of substance has this idea of foundation. So it's the things that it sits upon. Foundation. And the idea of something firm. Evidence. The idea of proof for which... Um, is stuff that's been proven, or that conviction. And so what you've got is, faith then is built upon the word of God and it then becomes the foundation on which we stand. So when you think about it, really, it's the opposite to what the world points through. It's not this idea of we just believe it and that's it, but rather it's something that's built up on evidence and then becomes the foundation on what we stand. Why do we trust God? Because look at these people, they trusted God, and see what God did. So it's not that sort of blind idea, but rather it's something that is actually based on evidence, and then becomes the foundation on which we then trust God. And that then core component of faith is that idea of trust. And not only does he talk about that, he then goes through and he's going to list off a whole bunch of examples that I want to work through. So by faith, 
this is starting in verse 4. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though if it, and sorry, and through it, he being dead still speaks. So the idea of his example lives on. And if you remember from um, Genesis, uh, the idea of Cain and Abel, uh, and in Genesis 4, it says, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in, um, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, um, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And I've highlighted there the difference um, in the actual verse. And I make sure I get them the right way round. Cain offered the fruit of the ground. But what did Abel offer? The firstborn of the flock and the fat. And God respected Cain's, um, Abel's offering and not Cain. And in fact, he goes on there, uh, where the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And again, I'm not going to go into what happened, but the idea of what he's putting this forward for is, look what faith in Cain did. Brought forth an offering of the firstborn and also the fat of the flocks. The best. Alright, and if you remember back to your Jewish history, in Israel, when the sacrifices that they were supposed to make, they were all what? Firstborn, without blemish, the best. So the idea of that's what Abel offered. He took the best of everything that God had given him and gave it back. And so therefore, um, it describes in Hebrews that he had a more excellent sacrifice. Another guy, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And this is interesting. This is one of the only examples of, um, or the very few of where someone never physically dies, but God actually takes him away. And when you look back in Genesis, there's not a huge amount written about this guy, but that's that key summary statement that's in there. And Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. After he begat Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, wouldn't you like that to be a summary of your life? Fill in name here, walked with God for his life or her life. And so that idea of that he was pleasing to God and God took him. But again, it's by his faith he lived. And as um, Isaac was talking with righteousness this morning... By his faith, he lived righteously before God. And just as a matter of interest, if you track the genealogies down, guess who's Noah's um, father? Or grandfather in this case. 
And it's interesting then because he then puts in this key statement. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so basically he's putting this as a core central to that relationship with God. You must have faith in God. Without that, um, you cannot please God. All right? And not only do you, it's not a matter of I just believe that God exists. You must believe that God, yeah, he's there, but he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Because without that, um, it's impossible to please God. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And you think back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 5. Then God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, um, for I am sorry that I have made him. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it um, to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. And you shall make it with lower, second and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters to the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So, God comes to you and to Noah and says, you've got to build a boat. And it's this big. Now, I looked at it and there's no definitive length for a cubit. It seems to have variations. So, even within the Hebrews, there's a short version and a long version. But, if you sort of take the average of them, uh, particularly the Hebrew ones, the ark was 144 and a bit metres long, 24 metres wide and 14.5 metres deep. It's a massive undertaking. And you know what? Noah did it. Why? On the word of God. God said, I'm going to destroy everything with floodwaters. And Noah went and built it. God didn't do a prelude flood just to prove it. No. Noah responded to what God had told him. And not just that. Um, and there's a couple of references to Noah in the, um, in the flood in the, in, um, the New Testament. 
In 1 Peter 3, 18 and 22, For Christ also suffered once for the sins, um, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Having put to death in the flesh, um, but made alive by the Spirit, for whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, and when once the divine long-suffering wasted in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And isn't it interesting then, you've got that contrast with being saved by water through no, um, in Noah's time, but also with us. We are also saved by wa- that idea of water and um, with baptism. And in Second Peter, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world um, of the ungodly. So Noah, not only did he build this ark, he was preaching. So he was a preacher of righteousness working in there. Um, Talk about people not responding to the um, to sermons. We don't know how long it was. Um, I imagine it took him a little while to build an ark of that size. You got all sorts of speculations of how long it was. Um, it doesn't give us a start. It tells us things like how old he was when he um, did this and how old that was when that happened. But he doesn't actually say what the time frame of God's. Um, statement of do this and what the completion was. Uh, All we know is he was about 600 years old when um, the flood actually came. Uh, Some people have said that therefore that when God's statement that he shall, you know, um, where was it in uh, uh, 6.3, that the time of man might be 120 years, people estimate that that's possibly how long he had to build the ark. So whatever it was. But the idea of Noah was told and Noah acted. He was already a godly man. That's why um, God was warning him and extending that grace to him. But just think about this. What if Noah had believed that God was going to do it and did nothing? What would have happened? It didn't, but just imagine and because quite often, is that what we do? We believe in what God says, but we just don't do anything about it. Going on, um, 8 to 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he received as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of the promise, as in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which the new foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 to 5, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country from the family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I curse those who curse you. And being you in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So here we are, 75 years old. You're moving. Where am I going? That way. And basically, start where the arrow is and track it round. That's Abraham. Started off in basically where Babylon would become, travelled up and down into the promised land and eventually through Egypt and then back again. So that, that place of Ur is sort of northwest of the Persian Gulf, which you can kind of just see the bit of blue on the right-hand side. But that was it. God came in and said, get up and go, and Abraham went. As well as the other things that God promised as he went. And it wasn't just Abraham and Sarah um, as well, or Sarai as she was originally. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many of the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable um, as the sands which is by the seashores. And if again, you go back to Genesis, they were pushing a hundred. Right? Ninety-nine. Just imagine being told you're going to have a child at ninety-nine. And yes, I know they lived a little bit longer, but that's still pushing it. And in fact, it wasn't plain sailing. I mean, you look at them and they didn't get it perfect. What happened when they found out? Well, first of all, they tried the Hagar route. That didn't work because God said, no, that's not the right one, it's coming through you. And then when um, they were told they were going to get pregnant, they laughed. You know, 99, yeah, that's going to happen. And yet, they still went through with it. And it's interesting that even though they had doubts, even though everything didn't go perfectly, in Hebrews, by faith, Sarah received the strength and had the child who then became the father of the entire nation of Israel. So each one trusted God and that trust led them to act uh, regardless of what others said, regardless of what it looked like. All right? And uh, there's other details we could have gone into, but that's not the point for this. And again, they weren't perfect. They didn't get it right always. All right? But they ended up being obedient. And so and we get, reflect back to James chapter 1, where he talks about, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he immediately um, observes himself, go away, and immediately forgets about what kind of man he was. 
and he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. So it's not just a matter of, I, I believe it's true. I have to act on that, otherwise it's not faith. Right. We're not acting on our faith. It's not by faith then. Going on. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, not having seen them afar, sorry, but having seen them afar, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland and truly if they've been called to mind that that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desired a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. And you think about it. All those promises to Abraham, apart from Isaac, Did he see this innumerable um, nation that would come out of him? Well, he saw a couple, but that was it. Did he see, through you, all nations will be blessed? Christ came, but how many years later? And so even though they didn't see the fulfilment of a number of these prophecies, of these blessings, these promises that God made, they still believed. And they said, as it said, if Abraham had decided this is all for not blow this, he could have just gone back to um, Ur. But he didn't. He stayed with it. He stayed with God. And the last test which was um, for Abraham, or the last big one which makes the list, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, he, um, he who he had received, Uh, the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he had also received him in a figurative sense. Can you imagine that? You wait till you're 99 slash 100. You get a son and then you're told, go and sacrifice him. And he went. And he was going to do it until God stopped him. Because he believed that God could raise him from the dead. So therefore he could go through it and God would just bring him back. And that promise would still occur. And in fact God stopped him before he actually um, did the killing part. But he offered up his son. But when you think about it, Notice the similarities. God, Abraham. Abraham told to offer his only son because he believed God could resurrect him. But God prevented him from actually doing it. But then God did what? Offered up his only son. And this one he didn't prevent. And this one became that fulfilment of the promise that was given to Abraham. But Abraham was willing to do it and God was willing to send his son so that we could have our sins dealt with and have that life. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. 
By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So in each of these, again, believing what God had said, woe's promises made way back, all right, to the point where Joseph said, when you go back, take my bones with you. So that when you get to the promised land, that's where I want to be unburied. So each of them then, believing those. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became um, of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the, appro- the reproach of Christ's graces, um, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he um, who destroys the firstborn also touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as to the dry lands, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do the same were drowned. And again, we could go back and look at Moses. And again, you think about, um, here are these people and they're not perfect. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, told him to go to Egypt to set his people free. What was Moses' response? Yeah, no, nah, no problem. Let's go. What if they don't listen? I'm not really good at this speaking stuff. Um, look, just why don't you send somebody else? All uh, right. And to the point where God gets frustrated with him and tells him, go. And it's interesting at that point, if he really wanted to, he could have, oh, but he come up with another excuse and another excuse, but he doesn't. Eventually the excuses run out and he is obedient to God. He goes back to the land where he killed the Egyptian and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And yes, God gives him signs and things um, to do as part of that process. But it's interesting um, that the way now is described in Hebrews as rejecting Egypt and being obedient to God and going and seeing. To the point where he goes through with the Passover. He takes the people out of the land, crosses the Red Sea. And again, if you remember your Jewish history, the Israelites when they got to the Red Sea and things weren't quite going as well as they would have hoped, Mm, was this a good idea? Why did you bring us out here to die, etc.? And, and that goes on through um, Israel's history. And jumping a bit now to Joshua, um, and I'll, I'm not going to read all of this, but basically, I'll, for those who are familiar with it, if not, basically Joshua um, is the leader that takes over from Moses. He leads the people into the promised land from the wilderness and they hit Jericho. And here's their great battle plan. 
walk around Jericho set, um, for, on each day for seven days. And on the last day, you do it seven times and you blow the trumpets, etc. Great battle plan, isn't it? Yeah, that'll fix it. That'll knock the walls down. Yeah, they'll just open the gates and let us in. But that wasn't their approach, was it? They did it. God said do it. They didn't come up with all these fanciful ideas of, you know, why we shouldn't do it, why it won't work, why it really doesn't look like a good idea, they're going to shoot us from the battlements, whatever. They said, yep, and they did it. And then what did God do? He knocked the walls down. You think about the faith it requires for you to do something that seems so silly, but you do it because God said not because of what it looks like, not because of what's going on in your mind. And, as he says in Hebrews, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish for those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And so, again, each of them acted Um, on that belief, on what they'd heard. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled. I'm thinking I've just read that. Okay. Going on then, um, you look at some of the other examples and these are the ones where he says, look, I don't even have time to tell you about all of these. Um, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets did what? Subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, protected from the mouth of lions, from fire, from swords and made strong through weakness. Quite often when you look at how God picked armies to go and fight against nations, did he take the strongest and the most? Nope. Quite often he took the weakest and the smallest number. And yet why? So that they would go in faith and therefore would win by God's power. And again, building up their faith, showing that God was right in what he said. And others, he talks about women receiving um, the dead back to life. Others who were by faith endured torture, mocking, scourging, chains of imprisonment, stone, sawn in two, tempted, slain with a sword, wandered about in animal skins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. But all made perfect in Christ. All went through this with a good testimony through faith even though none of these in the talking about in Israel's history, none of them received the promise directly. It all came after them, right? So that Christ may come and they would all be made perfect in Christ. So in summary, and I know I've skipped through the last little bits a bit quickly, um, but for time reasons, what? They believed God. And not just that they believed, they then acted on that belief. Even when it looked like it was contrary to common sense or whatever or even what you physically understand things to be. For some it gave assistance in life, for others it enabled them to endure mistreatments. Why? Because they held to the promises of God. They trusted in God, looking to their reward in the resurrection, not now, 
but in the world to come. And just summarising then, um, when he talks about the same sort of idea in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 8, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall now be fa- um, not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us these very things is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so that we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, being pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Because God has set up new bodies for us, we're just not there yet. All right? And that's what we're looking forward to. That's what they were looking forward to, the fact that we have these promises. And again, just picking up from some stuff that was talked about last week, um, and again, James, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and of one who says to him then, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And again, reinforcing what Nathan was saying last week, it is by our deeds, by our actions that we show our faith. And without them, our faith is worthless. As it says, even demons believe. Right. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, And it's interesting, by faith did it, by works he also did. Combine those together. I just want to um, finish with the uh, second last slide, promise. The parable. Um, not parable. This is the, uh, the boy that had the epileptic fits and also was demon-possessed. And the idea that the, when the disciples came to Jesus private and said to him, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And the idea of is, if we have faith, and if you've ever seen a mustard seed, they're tiny. And yet 
what you can achieve even with that tiny amount of faith. So it's not just enough to believe, we need to be putting that into action uh, to obey. Okay, And remembering we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't do it because we think it might be, we do it because God says that's the way to go.